I'm going to tell a story about a time, and this makes me sound like a bad person, but trust me, you just got to follow along and realize that I am just a, a simple boy at heart with a, with a, I have a golden heart. It feels this is weird. Not, this is not a good start. <laughs> I have a feeling that the preface to Mein Kampf starts the same way. <laughs> You heard our seafaring music. That means and thereby hangs a tale has docked in your ears. <laughs> Gross. I'm Adam Clark. Who do we have on the horn this month? Hi, I'm Jordan Shear. I'm a stand-up comedian. Jordan's all about being funny and has discovered, like a lot of budding male comics, that finding the funny in every situation doesn't always make you the nicest or sanest guy. Before we get to Jordan's tale, here's one of my own. We all have memories that make us cringe, usually because of ego. Even a beautiful and perfect creature like Robert Freddy Krueger England did that one Nightmare on Elm Street movie where he rapped about himself over the end credits. You see, my name is Freddy and I'm here to say, I'll wrap you up and take you away. Two of my many big cringe moments were done to the same long-suffering friend. And in one case, his mom. In the earliest days of my youth, going to St. Jesus' school for wayward turnips, I could make my friends laugh. If you repeatedly tell a kid he's funny and that kid is me, that becomes his entire identity. The downside is that in order to feed that need for bigger laughs, you start to experiment and go with your gut. And this is fine for a professional comic, but for a high schooler, the most it gets you is trouble. Being a smartass is one thing, but I had this constant desire to top myself. Usually a joke would just cross the line and your friends do that weird laugh where they react in shock. So they, they still laugh. Uh, they're reacting in shock to the joke, but they're simultaneously shaking their heads because their brains are in disagreement with what their dumb bodies are laughing at. One particular cringe-inducing day I remember is when myself and my long-suffering friend Curtis were in a mock feud. So I began adding the phrase, you're dead, somewhere in the middle of a conversation just to remind him that he owed me the fight of a lifetime after school. All of this was a goof. We weren't fighting physically or verbally that day. It was an excuse to get him to laugh by tossing the phrase, you're dead, in conversation. Saying things like, what are you doing after class? We should meet in the cafeteria. You're dead. See you at 11. Or, did you see news radio last night? I can't believe Phil Hartman turned to the camera and said, you're dead. Weird episode. Seems in that last example, I invented the creepypasta, which, you know what? Let's throw that on the list of things I'm apologizing for at the beginning of this episode. Anyway, this you dead business concludes with Curtis and I shooting the shit with far too wide a gap between you deads. So I drop it again in conversation, and the reaction is not strong, so I have to top myself to get that laugh. I take a quarter, put it in the payphone, dial his mother, and say, Curtis's mom, I have bad news for your son. He's dead! And I hung up. Yeah, I really did that. Not by means of an excuse, but perhaps an explanation. You behave in weird, seemingly aggressive ways when you're full-blown bipolar and not yet diagnosed or receiving treatment, as I was in that story. Speaking from experience, mania makes you feel like you could do no wrong and that you're at your best self at this very moment. Was I? Well, Curtis's mom understandably didn't think so. We were forbidden from hanging out for a while, and I was shocked. Uh, couldn't she appreciate the absurdity of my gag? Her son was obviously fine. This business was hilarious. The fact that Curtis's mom even so much as let her son attend the same school as the dumpster man you're currently listening to, let alone the fact that she was kind to me on a number of occasions after the Your Dead incident? Ha! You're a greater human being than I, Rosalind. 
Now, I don't want to get too bogged down in marining, but there's one more thing I should tell you before we get to this month's tale. Let's jump ahead a few years. I'm out of high school, and my long-suffering friend Curtis has discovered that a friend of his, recently announced as missing by police, was dead. I was with him shortly after he found out, and with that terrible tension in the air, I just wanted to, you know, to cut through it and make him laugh, because that's what I do. So I said, oh, I blame Bob. Curtis looked at me, understandably confused, and I, I said, uh, I thought St. John's was bad enough without ghosts from the Black Lodge lurking about. Huh? Huh? Yeah, because nothing says I'm here for you like a jokey reference to Twin Peaks. Curtis looked at me as if I just hit him in the head with a shovel. Unlike the you're dead stunt, I cringed immediately after I did this and apologized. The situation made me rethink my position that jokes always help in every situation and you're dumb if you get offended. Like me, Jordan has made some mistakes, which he's going to tell us about on this episode of And Thereby Hangs a Tale. If you guess this episode gets into some areas of poor taste, you're right, so consider yourself warned. What follows are Jordan's moments of cringe. Are they worse than my tasteless death gags, or a fictional burn victim slash murderer rapping about himself? Judge not, lest ye be judged, listener. I'm in grade 10. I had failed grade 9 science. <laughs> this lady had also failed grade nine science so we're in grade 10 taking grade nine science together <laughs> we were just talking and we're flipping through the textbook because in country public schools you have to share textbooks <laughs> they don't have enough for everybody this science book also known as the old testament is really interesting <laughs> and one day she says Hey, uh, I'm not going to be here tomorrow. You want to know why? And I was like, no, I oh, don't. No. <laughs> <laughs> Proper response. <laughs> so we're flipping through the textbook, and there's a picture of a fetus. So I looked at the, the textbook, and I, I said, uh, hey. Oh, no. <laughs> you know how they do abortions? Oh, no. And she's like, No. And her interest is peaked. <laughs> okay. She's taking advice from a guy who failed grade nine science on a scientific procedure right now. They do abortions. They siphon the baby out like they siphon gas. And then they flick it into a dumpster. Woof. Oh, no, Jordan. I don't know why I said it. Like, there's just these things in my life where it's like, I don't know whether it's for attention to be shocking or whatever. And it was wow. like... It took me a while to like learn how to be like a normal person almost. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I was, I was young and stupid. She starts crying. Oh, and no. she runs out of the room. And I'm like, that was weird. Still not connecting because I didn't think that somebody in grade 10 could get pregnant. <laughs> I failed grade 9 science. I didn't know what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> to me, it was so out of the realm of possibility that she was pregnant that I didn't even think about it and the next day she shows up i'm like oh i thought you weren't supposed to be here today and she's like well i'm pregnant me and my boyfriend we're gonna have an abortion but last night we decided not to i'm i'm not anti-abortion that was just a dumb mistake from a 14 15 year old kid see what i find interesting is that you're not anti-abortion and yet you were more or less roma downey in an episode of touched by an angel just then <laughs> 
<laughs> I think you should be thinking about what happens to a baby. <laughs> <laughs> it's alive at 12 weeks, all right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> My foray with pro and anti-abortionism doesn't end there. So in university, I am taking a film course, and there's this girl that I meet who I have a crush on. And I'm kind of shy, so I didn't really get to know her right away, but I eventually got the courage to talk to her. And uh, we talk for a while, and I get the, sometimes in my life I get these, like, you know, just glimmers of like courage and i asked her out Mm -hmm. and she said no because she's becoming a nun there's a part of me that's like she's becoming a nun but she's not a nun yet so (laughs) there's still time (laughs) there's still time it's harder for me as like an introvert and an anxious person to find people that i connect with yeah maybe because i say stupid shit and uh as we learned from the previous story I connected with her and we were like good friends and it was like cool. And I was like, this is somebody I could see myself dating. And, um, so she's still texting me all the time and like wanting to hang out. And I just liked her. So I was like, yeah, let's hang out. And we hung out a lot and we would like, I'd walk her to her class and stuff. And she'd be like, Hey, can you walk me to class? And it felt like this sort of budding relationship. But, um, like I knew her views, like she, you know, wasn't going to you know, have sex until marriage or anything like that. And I don't believe in that. I Like, I'm young. I want to have sex before marriage and stuff. So one time she goes, oh, I'm doing a bake sale. You want to come down to the bake sale and buy some cookies? And I was like, she's like, it's for my church. And I was like, sure. So I went to the student center. It's packed. There's people walking everywhere. Um, I, uh, I walk up to the table. There's about three women there. Um, I, uh, I'm like, yeah, give me a shortbread cookie. Give them a five. It's a dollar. I'm like, keep the change, whatever. It's for your church. And uh, she goes, uh, somebody walks by and they go, you guys are monsters. And I'm like, well, I mean, I only got one shortbread cookie. I mean, I'm not doing that bad. (laughs) I feel like like I actually reserved myself quite a bit (laughs) to poke fun at my weight right now. And that's honestly what I thought. (laughs) Really? Yes. Because that's who I am. I'm like, oh, my God, she's making fun of my weight. I'm Now I'm self-conscious. I don't want to eat this cookie in front of this girl that I like. And I'm panicking and I'm sweating. And I'm, I get in these modes where I almost have tunnel vision and I don't really understand what's going on. I'm just like, let's get in. Let's get out. And I, I like panic. Yeah, fight or flight. Yeah. And I'm like freaking out. So I'm like in there. I'm already embarrassed. I have this weird eating thing because my parents were kind of weird when I was growing up. Like I was always like a, the fat kid. And I have this weird thing with eating where I'm. I can't eat in front of people unless I'm comfortable with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I get, like, really nervous and sweaty. So, um, yeah, my mind went right there. I was like, oh, my God, she just called me fat. What a fucking terrible person. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is super embarrassing. So she's like, you know what? Let's just get out of here. You want to walk me to my class? And I was like, yeah, for sure. So I walk her to a class. And as we're walking to the class, she goes, you know, that's really nice of you to donate the money. And I was like, yeah, for sure. No problem. And she's like, yeah, some people just don't get it, you know? Like, uh, we're out here trying to do a good thing. And I was like, you know, I'm not religious, but you are trying to do a good thing. Raise money for your church. I mean, I've seen churches give sandwiches to homeless people and stuff. Like, you know, they're not as, as much as all of us liberal studies undergrads want to be like, the church is evil. It's like they still do good things in a community and whatnot. Um, and she's like, yeah, yeah, we're trying to do good things. Like, you know, all we want is just to stop abortion. Like, it's not, like they're killing babies. And I was like, oh, well, uh-huh. what? And she's like, yeah, yeah, we're like, uh, it's like an anti-abortion fundraiser. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa what? 
I thought this was for your church. And she's like, yeah, my church is funding this anti-abortion fundraiser. And I was like, <laughs> karmically, I'm anti-abortion right now. This is fucked up. I was like, you didn't tell me that. I'm fucking buying in the student center. A bunch of people just saw me. Somebody called me a goddamn monster. I was like, I didn't fucking know that's what my money was going to. And she's like, well, calm down. You're getting really mad. She's like, I know it's a touchy issue, but you're getting like upset. And I was like, yeah, fuck this. I'm done. I was like, we're not hanging out anymore. And uh, yeah, just that was the last time that I like talked to her or saw her. I mean, she texted me once after that, but I never responded. And it was like, it was super weird. So one time I was going, I was on my way to go record a podcast and I drove through this town. There was this anti-abortion rally mm-hmm. going on. And people are holding up signs like, abortion is murder. You know, whatever. Babies are the future. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe accidentally played a role in a girl not getting an abortion. And then I donated money to an anti-abortion clinic by accident. Yeah. And so... You're more pro-life than pro-choice actions-wise right now. <laughs> karmically, yeah. For yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. And so I'm driving through this thing and the people are lined on the streets. So it's like a block of people and they're on both sides of the streets. So I slow down to just a slow pace, roll both my windows down, lay on the horn and just blast the middle finger to both sides because I had to gain some karmic footing. (laughs) In the pro-choice movement. <laughs> in the pettiest way possible. Yeah, but it's like, what else can I do? Like, at this point, I have to take advantage of it. And I had the thought. I was like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to draw attention to myself. But I was like, but I feel like I have to do this. Something was compelling me to do it. When I was driving away, there was a brief second of, like, a high. I was like, oh, fuck, that was crazy. <laughs> and I'm feeling good. And I'm like, you know what? Fuck them. That was good. I did the right thing. And then... <laughs> Great movie. Um. (laughs) But the cringe doesn't end with what Jordan calls his pro-life karma. Jordan became an outspoken atheist after being raised Mormon. Well, kind of Mormon. And I remember going to the Church of Latter-day Saints every Sunday, and I remember being baptized as a Mormon. I don't really remember much about it. I remember going to Sunday school. I remember that my parents used to say... They used to tell everybody, all of their Mormon friends, that they didn't drink coffee. And then they would, like, anytime anybody came over, they would hide the coffee pot and then, like, bust it back out as soon as they left. It was super weird. <laughs> yeah. But the thing about it is we used to have, like, missionaries come over for dinner all the time, too. And they would just, like, come to our house and talk about religion and talk have these, like, philosophical conversations. And I feel, like, kind of bad about it because it's, you know, anytime you're a new Mormon... And so they call it new Mormons, new Mormons? like new money. The NMs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Anytime you're new Mormon, you know for a fact that you were convinced to join the religion by a door-to-door salesman. So <laughs> <laughs> like, you know for a fact that's how you got roped in. So it's kind of embarrassing to admit. We were in theory Mormons, but never lived any of the philosophies. It was like a place to congregate on Sunday. We'd go, and then they would pretend that they were good Mormons when they were there. And then they'd leave and just be them nor- their normal selves. And then, like, keep up these weird appearances. And when their friends came over, like I said, like, hide the pot of coffee and stuff. Yeah. And, like, my mom would hide that she smoked. And it was, like, it, it was so bizarre. And then it lasted, like, a bit, not, s- like, a super long time. I think it was, like, maybe, like, five or six by the time we were completely done with it. And then... Mm-hmm. 
I remember we moved like up north, up into the middle of nowhere on this like almost reserve called Sioux Lookout hmm. on the border of Manitoba. So my dad could work in a hospital and my mom worked for the police force up there. And we came back and when we came back, they enrolled me in Catholic school and baptized me as a Catholic. So I've been baptized as Mormon and Catholic and they lied to <laughs> the priest and they were like, no, he's never been baptized. And then I got baptized Catholic. I was like, I'm pretty sure God knows. I think he knows. Like if anybody knows that I've been baptized before, it's God. Now you're going to two different kinds of hell, Catholic hell and Mormon hell. Oh, I'm going to be getting it bad. And uh, yeah, so I went to Catholic school for eight years and I think it was like, I remember, I remember vividly, like when I realized intellectually that Santa Claus wasn't real. Mm-hmm. I put it together that God wasn't either. Didn't. You realize that your dad has been dressing up as God at Christmas the whole time. <laughs> I was like, God, you're pretty obese. You should. Uh, why are you wearing diabetic socks? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And then my dad had kind of lost faith at that point too. And I remember him like showing me documentaries and stuff about uh, like how the Bible can't be real. Is your mom devoutly religious? Yeah. She doesn't go to church or anything, but she like believes in God. We moved and then came back and they didn't want me to go to like just a public school. They wanted me to go to a Catholic school because they thought it would, I don't know why. I guess there's no real good answer. They just thought it was a better school, I guess. So they like, lied and said i was catholic and then i had to get baptized to get into the school and it's just like a weird thing you had to go to mass once a month and there was a religion class i remember one time we had to write in a journal like our favorite thing about god this is in grade seven whoa and i was like my favorite thing about god is that he doesn't exist i was like he's not real i was like i watched a documentary with my dad that like disproved scientifically all the bible stories i was like so how, how are we sitting here believing this and then she wrote back do you believe everything you see on tv and then i wrote back do you believe everything you read in a book and i got detention <laughs> <laughs> i think this is like the moment i started to turn to become a different person mm-hmm. and at this point i'm a stand-up comedian doing bits about how words don't hurt people like and stuff like that and i remember the moment i stopped doing that bit i was talking to my mom and uh we we're on uh we we're just on the couch watching a movie or something she likes horror movies and uh we we're talking about god and she's i was like yeah but you're religious and i was like you know i think it's stupid that you know you believe in a man in the sky and i said that to her and she was like well you know you have different experiences than me like both my parents were dead by the time i was 12 so I didn't really get to know them the same way you got to know me. So for me, the thought of being able to meet them again one day is what keeps me going. So yeah, I do believe. And I suspend disbelief on different things. And it's like that thought keeps me going. And I was like, that opened me up to so many different perspectives and like how experience can shape you and how like, that really made me realize that like I judged people for decisions that they made in their lives and like ways that they lived and what they believed in their ideas and stuff. And then I realized but people's experience shaped them into such a unique person. There is no objective truth and people are just who they are. And you know, some things help people get to the day and who the fuck am I to tell them that it's not right. 
how how can you tell somebody that they're making the right or wrong decision? Like people have to, it's that same thing that goes back to experience. You have to have your own experiences and live your own life and make the decisions that are right for you. So I don't believe in telling people what they should think about it. Mm-hmm. That like helped me open up kind of my idea of different perspectives. Mm. But I think as I got older and less influenced by other comedians who are like, yeah, free speech and like, you know, listen to less Howard Stern and Opie and Anthony. <laughs> I uh, I think I think every young man has his regrettable Bill Hicks phase of life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then just realize that, like, I'm, you know, just I, we're all just trying to get through it. And it's like, hey, just don't be a dick to people. <laughs> One small interruption. No, this is not a sponsored bit, though I am recording this section of the podcast on the Casper mattress that I spilled my blue apron order on. If you like this episode of Thereby, I urge you to listen to our previous episode with Jessica Ritchie. She's a writer and film critic for RogerEbert.com, and she tells a tale of how Cupcakes and Big Bird got her to reject her Jehovah's Witness beliefs. And if you like stories about a funny person's cringy past, why not listen to YouTuber ThoughtSlime as he reflects on the time he turned to pick up artists on the internet for dating advice. You can find both those episodes at megaphonic.fm slash thereby. I have so much shame tied to things that I chose to do in my life. But if you can take anything from one, this story, and the two 1988 Stan Winston classic, Pumpkinhead, Mm -hmm. you'll realize that revenge is not really something that you should seek. Revenge, although the initial response of it may feel good, you're going to get negative reactions from taking the act of revenge. You're going to experience what those people are going through if you have any empathy and it's going to make you feel bad too so if you accidentally donate to a charity that maybe isn't so you know good for the world uh just let it go yeah and that explains why that old witch has you in a pumpkin patch yeah <laughs> next time lance hendrickson's son gets run over now it begins deep in the appalachian mountains they say that an act of evil shall never go unpunished. There they tell of a creature who shall come from nowhere, born from the blood of the innocent. It was only a matter of time before this interview slash informal storytelling show became a Pumpkinhead fan cast. The terror is loose. The horror is here. Pumpkinhead. Uh, maybe that Pumpkinhead pod is a good idea. Hey, nameless megaphonic intern. Has Podkinhead.com been taken as a domain? It has? Oh, thanks, nameless intern. No, I'm not going to give you a name. That would humanize you. Begone. As we wrap up, Jordan would like to offer some final thoughts on his moments of cringe looking back on who i was gives me night terrors yeah like it's like it's the most stomach turning anxiety inducing thing that i can possibly do is to look back at who i used to be it fucking sucks even though you're an atheist jordan you've still found a way to feel guilt thinking about your past self yeah oh guilt drives me man (laughs) it is the fuel that runs this terrible body (laughs) 
<laughs> that was comedian and podcaster Jordan Shear. It's funny reflecting on where your comic instincts come from and how they first develop. Like, you're going to be kind of brutal in your first attempts at being funny because that's kind of where your mind goes when you're young i think and certainly why a lot of youngsters are attracted to brutal and dark humor and there's nothing wrong with that but sometimes when you're inexperienced with jokes they can go too far and interestingly enough i think jordan and i made the same mistake because him flipping off those pro-lifers and me making that dreadful phone call in both cases, demanded a context. Like, I can't speak for Jordan, but I imagine that, like, for me, I saw that almost as a film. Like, you would see everything leading up to that moment. You would see why that is funny. Uh, not that I think that it's funny now, but in my teenage head, I can see where I was going with that. This was, like, the ultimate outrageous thing to do. And it was dumb. And like Jordan, I am racked with guilt, which is perhaps the best punishment. If you want to hear more from Jordan, I recommend his podcast, Pantless Pros. There'll be a link in our show notes. As for his previous podcasts, such as Let's Get Political, Jordan is Genius, and Podcast the 13th, the last of which featured a guest, usually me, discussing a horror movie. Well, Jordan's keeping those locked up in the Disney vault for now. Anyway, that's all for this month. Uh, who's our next buy on their time? This is Sarah Walsh. Ah, Sarah Walsh is also a stand-up comic like Jordan, and she's been featured on CBC television and in live showcases for various comedy outlets, including Just for Laughs. She's going to tell us all about Dave. Dave was the best guinea pig in the entire world. I named him after Super Dave Osborne. And why Dave currently lives in her freezer. That's next month on Thereby. This is Adam Clark paraphrasing my long-suffering friend Curtis when I say, forgive yourself and love your mom. Until next month, get out of my garbage. And Thereby Hangs the Tales, a production of Megaphonic FM. Podcasts are the friends who live in your ears.